Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Thanks, Liz. Uh, Let's uh, pray as we come to God's word together. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, I pray that that the words that I speak would be your words, uh, that we would uh, meet with the living God this evening, and that you would change us by your spirit to become more like our Lord Jesus. This we ask in his name. Amen. How should Jesus' death on the cross change you? How should it change you? Looking historically at the basis of the Christian faith, without Christ there is no hope, and without the cross there is no Christianity. Without the cross, heaven is only a dream, and hell becomes a much more real reality. By the cross, Jesus died to reconcile us to God. He died in our place. The righteous for the unrighteous. The godly for the ungodly. And as a result of what he has done, it should radically change us. As we come to understand that we we don't live for ourselves anymore, but we live for him. Many of us know the historical significance of the cross, but I wonder, do we really grasp its effects for our lives and implications for our lives today? That it shouldn't just be an add-on to our life, but like the word Blackpool through a stick of rock, it should cut through every part of our life. As with all of our life, It should be devoted for Christ. Tonight, as Neil mentioned, we're carrying on in our series on foundations of faith as we understand just what Christ has done for his people in dying for them on the cross. As at the cross, that is where things change. It should change how we live as Christians, 
as we live for Christ now. And that changes us really in three aspects. As we are saved at the cross, therefore we, we live for Christ. We're, we're, we're now one of his people, his treasured people. And we have been bought with a, with a price. And so firstly, we're saved at the cross. At the cross, everything changes. When we trust in Jesus, we receive salvation for our sins from what he has done. As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is that God, as he says in the word, he didn't create us to destroy us. As the Bible says that the Lord takes no delight in the death of the wicked. But he wants all people everywhere to come to repentance, to come to him. And as we saw last week in John 3, it is the spirit of God that revives us. He breathes new life into our dead and darkened souls that we are brought to life in him. God brings us from being dead in our sins and being his enemies to becoming his friends as he places his spirit in our hearts. Saving faith in Christ is not about the amount or volume of our faith, but about the object of our faith, our Lord Jesus. And that is an enormous reassurance as we don't rely on how we may feel from day to day, but we rely on Christ and what he has achieved for us. And what has he achieved? Well, he has brought us from a place of death to a place of life. As we died with him and were raised to new life in him. As it says in Romans 6, as Paul goes on from verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer live, no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Paul paints the really vivid picture of what has happened to us as Christians. That we have been crucified with Christ. That our old selves in Adam has been put to death. It was put to death on the cross with Christ. That Jesus' death is our death. Our old self, namely that in Adam, has been put to death. And therefore we no longer live under the power of sin Anymore, It has no dominion over our lives. Previously, we had no power to do anything that really glorified or honored the Lord. Previously, the sinful things that we, we did, we would just call them nothing. And the things that we thought were good, we did for the wrong reasons. We did to prove our own righteousness. And so therefore... Everything good that was done was done for the wrong motivation. And the bad that we did displayed already what was going on in our hearts. But through the cross, we're set free. Set free to live for the Lord. Set free from the power of sin as he gives us the spirit to empower us to live lives that please him. Not lives that live any longer in self-righteousness or sin, but live lives that serve the Son. 
And therefore we can resist sin as we live for the Lord now. Not only can we live for the Lord, but we want to live for the Lord. Sinclair Ferguson says it well in his book, uh, which is called Devoted to God. As he writes, when I'm tempted and feel the power of sin and its tug on my affections, the gospel gives me something to say. Christ bled and died for this sin. I will therefore have nothing to do with it. I am now united to Christ by the indwelling of the spirit. How can I drag him into my sin? Because Jesus has set me free. He set me free from the power of sin and given me his spirit to obey him. That's where the law brings condemnation. The spirit brings liberation. And so that I need not follow my own sinful desires anymore. But God has given me new desires. And he's given me new power to please him, to live for him. As Christ brings salvation and freedom at the cross, as now we belong fully to him. And we are now one of Christ's people. And this is the precious truth of the gospel, that Christ's work is applied to each of us who trust in him. As Paul writes in his letter to the Galatians in chapter 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live in the body. I I live by by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who did Christ die for? He died for me. One who lives by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me that I would live for him as his spirit dwells in me. I was saved at the cross. As Jesus didn't die to create the possibility of my salvation, he died to achieve my salvation. It is that Christ's death was sufficient for all, but efficient for some. As before, being in Christ, we're all united or in Adam. As Paul says in in Romans 5, in verse 17, he says, For if by the trespass of one man, that is Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? And he goes on in 18 and 19. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Romans 5 speaks about our relationship with Adam and Christ. As before we were in Christ, we were all in Adam. That he was our head and we belonged to him. If you think about it this way, that if we think about our heads, they turn the whole body. Wherever the head goes, the body goes also. One good example in light of recent events is the, the head of state of Russia, the president, Vladimir Putin. When he declares war on Ukraine, its consequences are not just personal. 
but widespread as the whole nation of Russia is at war. The whole nation of Russia is under his authority. He is the head of state, and therefore it's not just Vladimir Putin who is at war with Ukraine, but the whole country. And likewise, just as we are born in Adam, he is our head. We are born in him, and we have declared war on God. Whether we agree with it, whether we like it or not, that is our position. Adam declared war, and we're all implicated. It's like the criminals who were shipped to Australia many years ago, and the next generation born in Australia weren't born British anymore. They're Australian, because that's who they are, born in that way. And so it is for us, we are born in Adam, made in the image of God, and yet born in sin, and by nature at war with God, the one who made us. But in the beauty of the cross, Christ died for his enemies. He died for the ungodly. As it says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ lived the perfect life that we should have lived and died a criminal's death on the cross that we deserve to die. The righteous died for the unrighteous. Christ's action on the cross accomplished salvation for all those who are his. He died for his people, for his bride, for his elect. This understanding carries different uh, names in theology. Sometimes it's called limited atonement. However, it's not limited in power, but but particular in focus. Uh, Therefore, it's more often called particular atonement as Christ died to purchase his people. And yet we might think uh, this seems maybe unfair to save some people. But this is the reality. There's nothing that we can do to offer God in any way our goodness. Nothing that we can give to him. As the old hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. It is God who sovereignly saves his people through the work of Christ on the cross and applies it to our hearts by his spirit. Christ purchases the salvation of his people and sends his spirit to bring them to life. Jesus paid the price of the gift of our salvation and he mails that gift to us by sending his spirit into our hearts. And therefore, Because of what he has done for us, we're not our own, but we have been bought with a price. We've been bought with a price, and that should change how we live. Paul speaks about just how the grace of God should empower us to live for Jesus, as he speaks in Romans 6, verse 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? When we understand what Christ has done for us on the cross, we should lead lives that are filled with thankfulness, with grace, and obedience to the Lord. 
Paul's line of argument here is that if we sin and grace abounds, then perhaps some people will say to us, well, shouldn't we just keep on sinning as grace abounds? To which Paul wants to respond, no way. Or in the older translation, heaven forbid. We died to sin in Adam, so how can we live in sin anymore? As it's the grace of God that fuels us to say no to ungodliness, to live godly lives. As it says in Titus 2, verse 11 and 12, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. The law of God displays just how far short we fall by the Lord's standards. But we are saved by grace and live by grace that God changes us, that we would love his law, that we would respond to it. As God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, but lavishes his grace upon us day after day. And therefore, we can respond to the commands of God with loving obedience, as he's our heavenly father who loves us and cares for us, even at times when we might not see that. We trust him because we love him, and we love him because he first loved us. As now through Christ's death and resurrection, we are united to him. As Paul says, In verse 5 of Romans 6, Before we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. It means that his death is our death, and his life is our life, as we have been united to him by his Spirit. We have therefore been united to Jesus, and we can share a relationship with God our Father by the Spirit. Now we have all the privileges that Christ has as we come into the presence of God the Father in the Spirit, that we can enjoy an intimate union with Jesus as we experience communion with God the Father. And therefore we want to live lives that please him and run from anything that displeases him. All because of what Christ has achieved on the cross And therefore, the only response of what he has done because of his generous grace is to live for Christ. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. You were bought at a price and therefore honor God with your bodies. It's to say that the glorious grace of our Lord Jesus should lead us to godliness. How can it not? If we were enemies of God and he died when we were that enemy, then we should become a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Every part of our lives should seek to please him as we seek to bring him glory, as he is worthy of it. John Calvin, writing on the Christian life, he describes it as our only legitimate goal. He says this, If we are not our own but the Lord's, it is clear to what purpose all our deeds must be directed. If we are not our own, 
Therefore, neither our reason nor our will should guide us in our thoughts and actions. If we are not our own, therefore we should not seek what is expedient or or pleasing to the flesh. If we are not our own, therefore let us forget ourselves and our own interests as far as possible. We are God's own. To him, therefore, let us live and die. We are God's own. Therefore, let his wisdom and his, uh, and his will dominate all our actions. We are God's own. Therefore, let every part of our existence be directed towards him as our only legitimate goal. As we think about our everyday lives, our short-term goals, our medium, our long-term goals, the question is not, does it work? Is it effective? The question is, does it honor God? How can God be honored through the decisions that I make? The question is not, will it, will it get results? Will it make me richer? Is it productive? But the question is, does it bring God glory? Does my life bring God glory? We only want to live for an audience of one, Jesus, as he gave his life for us. How can we not desire to live for him? Yet there are perhaps those who are not trusting in Christ and they, they might think, well, living like this, it just seems very old-fashioned. It seems a bit dry, a bit dull and boring that to obey God in every part of your life well that sounds like legalism it's rule based and it just sucks the joy out of life and yet if we are Christians we we don't live holy lives because we want to gain God's favour we have God's favour and therefore we want to live for him We want to live lives which are dependent on him, which display obedience to him, as we want to live lives which produce joy and contentment and peace, rather than living in pragmatic ways which really only bring slavery. And that's what Augustine said as he processed his thoughts, as he was looking for peace for many, many years, as he speaks about in his confessions, he says, I became a great puzzle to myself. I became a great puzzle to myself. He became a puzzle because he was looking for hope, peace, and purpose outside of God. In any other way, he was trying to find it, and he couldn't find it. And this is the reality, friends. If we turn away from God and try to find meaning, hope, or purpose in anything else other than the Lord. Maybe for those not trusting in Jesus, this is really the only way that they would see life as they look not to God but to themselves as people are told ultimately to look inside yourself the answers within and yet we've seen during the pandemic haven't we just how disastrous that truly is when people are locked in their homes and left with nothing really but their thoughts the weight and pressure of life just comes on them day upon day and they're told to look within, that they have within themselves the answer. And yet it makes people who are already frail in their thoughts arrive at a place of breakdown quite often. 
And so we're not to look within to try and find some kind of answer to fix our lives, but we're to look to Christ for all of life. We look to our Savior, the one who paid it all for us, who gives us life. As the hymn writer says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. As we rejoice in Christ's work, what he has done, achieved on the cross, our hearts, our lives are filled with the love of God as we want to live for him. As the hymn says, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. That in every part of our lives, we want to live for Christ. We want to live for God's glory as much as possible. And therefore, we want to say, take my hands, God, and let them bring you glory. Take my eyes, Lord, and let me look at the things that bring you glory. Take my feet, let them go to places that bring you glory. Take my voice, let me use it to bring you glory. Take my mind, let me apply it to things that bring you glory. Take my heart, let me give it to you fully that you would receive glory. Take all that I have in love, let me enrich it in you that I would bring you glory. Help me, Lord, that I would be an instrument of glory wherever I go. It means that what I do with my hands, I want to use them for the glory of God. I don't want to do anything that will be displeasing or sinful to him. It means that everything that I do, everything that I think of, I want to honor him. The places I go, I want to bring maximum glory, whether that's on mission, in the workplace, in the neighborhood, wherever the Lord places me. I want to go there to be able to use that as a place to bring God glory. The words I want to use, I want to build up other people. I don't want to tear them down. I want to exalt them in praiseworthy uh, words. It means everything that I dwell on, everything that I think about, I want to please God and purge everything that is not of him. My heart, I want to give it to him fully, wholeheartedly in every way that my love for Jesus would burn brighter and brighter the things of the world would grow colder. And that all that I am and all that I have would be used to bring the Lord Jesus supreme glory as he is worthy. As the Apostle John says in Revelation 4, For you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. As we live lives to display God's glory. We want to live soul-saturated lives of praise and adoration for our glorious God, for my God, for my Jesus, my Savior, who lived and died and gave himself for me. Let's take a moment just to process that and uh, I'll close in prayer. Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow 
in ceaseless praise. And Lord God, we pray in the light of your glorious sacrifice on the cross that we would live lives that bring you glory. Forgive us for the times that we don't. Help us, Lord, by the power of your spirit to live for you, that we would bring you glory and that would just magnify your name. And this we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.